0: My name is Danny, if you're a guest with us here today at uh, whatever campus you're at, a Banda campus, our Franklin campus, our Greenwood campus, or if you're a guest online today, we want to welcome you. We also want to welcome uh, those of you in the Johnson County multi uh, Microsite Jail. Uh, welcome. Thanks for tuning in as well. Um, we're starting a brand new series today called Better Lovers. Now, some of you may have thought that this is going to be some sort of steamy romance, kind of February Valentine's Day series I don't know where your mind is. Come on, come on. Why are you thinking that? Pull your mind up out of that place. Actually, this is a pretty serious series uh, that I, that I uh, want to dive into and talk about over the next couple of weeks. And, and the reason is because our world isn't doing so well. Like the human race right now, struggling. As a whole, we're, we're like getting an F. <laughs> Have you noticed? I mean, you turn on the news and it's just this this continuous stream of bad news and heartache and pain and hurt. I saw something there today that said that today in our world, for the first time ever, depression is the number one cause of disability. And that antidepressants are the number three drug that are prescribed by doctors today. I saw another statistic that blew my mind, that depending on what country you look at, Suicide is the number one or number two cause of death among, among young people today. I, that's disturbing. I, I mean, it's just, I don't, even know how, I don't even know how it's gotten to that point. where People just giving up on life. I saw another statistic that said that anxiety is at an all-time high, higher than it's ever been across the globe. There's people filled with, with anxiety saw something else that said that, you know, addictions are, are, are on the rise like never before. Drugs, alcohol, prescription pills, illegal drugs, sending thousands upon thousands of moms and dads to jail. Addictions just, just ravaging heroin, meth, it's just destroying commun- entire communities. Like the human race is, not, we're, not, we're not doing that well. You agree? Saw something else that was so disturbing. One out of every four girls and one out of every six boys is sexually molested before adulthood. Saw something else that just blew my mind that the human trafficking and prostitution is now a hundred and eighty six billion dollar industry. And it's continually fueled by endless streams of pornographic material accessible through our iPads and iPhones and it's like a sexual madness has taken over the entire planet. You know, you get on social media, and, and 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 you see people just just tearing each other apart, hatred and anger and slander and gossip and I can't even I can't even I can't even look at it. It's so so harmful. In 2018, there were 94 school shootings. more people have died in the last 18 years in school shootings than the entire 20th century combined. Like, we're not doing so well. Do you agree? Like, we would get an F. What's going on in, in this world that I live in, in this world that you live in? Like, what's happening? Hatred is like on the, going through the roof, and racism, and, and bigotry, and it's just like, oh. This is my opinion, you can disagree with me, we can talk about it later, it's just what I think. The human race is, is loving poorly. And let me explain what that means. I'll just go to something Jesus said because I think he nailed it, he's pretty smart. Do you think Jesus is the wisest person to ever live? What do you think, yes or no? He better be, if not, we're in trouble. If you're thinking, oh, Einstein might have been pretty smart, come on. He was the wisest person to ever walk this planet. This is what he said about how things would evolve and things would move on into the future. He said, sin will run rampant everywhere. Is that what you see when you turn the news on? And the result will be like, this will be the result. And the love of many will simply grow cold. What does that mean? I've seen it happen in a marriage. Unfortunately, I've seen it happen in far too many marriages where the love inside the marriage grew cold. And what it means on a practical level is that that one spouse stops caring about the other spouse. Yes? Have you been there? Some of you have been through a divorce, maybe two. And you used to be in love and you used to want to serve and you used to want to give and you used to care and then and then things happened and then you stopped caring and then there was hurt and harm and you just the love grew cold. See, at best, when when someone's love grows cold, they stop caring. Today, we live in a world where, when there's a fight in a school or on the street, instead of stopping the fight, people pull out their stupid video camera and they hit play to record the fight instead of jumping in and saying, Stop, break it up. No, oh, this will be fun for my page, it'll get a lot of likes. We live in that world today. Someone gets into a car accident and they're in a car and, it's, and they're hurt. And instead of helping that person or calling 911, somebody picks their phone up and, and video records it. That's what it looks like for love to grow cold in a society. People stop caring at best. I know this is heavy. I understand. But we got to talk about this because this, this is the world we live in. At worst, it looks like mistreatment. At best, it's I don't care about you. At worst, it's I'm gonna harm you, hurt you. And that's why we see violence on the rise and sexual abuse on the rise and rape is on the rise, and this human trafficking thing is just, just it's epidemic. It's, it's, it's just an epidemic. Because at worst, lo- a, a loveless heart or, or, or when love grows cold, now I'm I'm gonna just I'm gonna just hurt you. I'm gonna take things from you. I'm gonna abuse you, so I could care less about you. And, and I know that people, good-hearted people are looking at the situation and they're seeing the same statistics I just shared with you and others, there's so many more, and they're going, well, I know the answer must be political. Let's, let's get different people in office. Let's create new laws and new rules and, and let's vote. And, and I'm all for that. And I vote. And I think with the better politicians we have, with better character, we'll make better laws and that will help, but it will not fix the problem. And here's why, and if it did, I would go run for office. But here's why I don't believe it will ultimately solve the problem, because politics and politicians, all they can do is change the laws. They cannot change the what? The heart. And the problem lies in our hearts. The love in our hearts has grown cold. You cannot change that with new rules or new laws. If, if, if you could, Jesus would have said something like this at the end before he went back to heaven. Hey, uh, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go get elected. And enforce all of the laws in this book. Old Testament and new. And, and everything will be, will, will be fixed. If politics could do it. He didn't say that. Instead, he said this. Jesus came, told his disciples, I've I've been given all authority in heaven and earth over all presidents, kings, mayors, governors, everybody answers to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you, and I'll be with you to the end of the age. Jesus' solution was to go out and help people become my follower, my disciple. You say, well, that's so simplistic. That, well, that, that's not going to work. All we need is, you know, to be a disciple. And Does Jesus really know what he's talking about? Well, let's, let's talk about that. A disciple. What's a disciple? Well, outside of the context of Christianity, a disciple is just simply a follower. You could be a disciple of your parents. You could be a disciple of Aristotle. You know, you can be a disciple of whoever you want to be a disciple of. That just means you're a follower, you're a student of that person. Well, in the context of faith, Christianity, and the Bible, a disciple of Jesus is simply a student of Jesus. They just come underneath his teachings, and they do what he says, and they follow what he says. And it's not long before you come to the most important commandment that Jesus gave us as disciples, which is to love each other, John fifteen seventeen. This is what Jesus said, this is my command, it's real simple, love each other. So let's put this together real quick. So a disciple is someone who's a student of Jesus, and the command that Jesus gave us is to love one another. Sometimes he would say it like this, do unto others as you wish they would do unto you. It's the same, same idea. Love one another. Are you saying all we need is love, and that would fix all the problems in the world? I'm not saying it. The most wise person who ever walked this planet said it. And here's why. In Romans 13, verse 10, Paul said this, and this is just taking Jesus' words and applying it to our lives Love does no wrong to his neighbor. Now think about that with me. Come on, let's have a conversation. Love love doesn't take from his neighbor, love doesn't steal, love doesn't pay for sex. All prostitution and human trafficking goes away in a world filled with love because love does no wrong to his neighbor. The other day I was in the gym I go to and there was a sign in the locker room that says, lock your stuff up. There's a thief among us. It didn't say it quite like that. That was my interpretation. (laughs) And my heart was a little sad. Some of you go to the same gym that I go to and you saw the sign too. Dang it. Why do I always... How do I live in a world where I got to watch my shoes? I got to lock it up. Because that's a loveless world where people don't care about my shoes. They want to take my shoes. In fact, they did. I've already had one pair stolen in that gym. Thankfully, it wasn't my Kevin Durant shoes. (laughs) If it had been my KD shoes, there might have been a Christian fight. But in a world where in a world where we're like where I commit as a disciple and you commit as a disciple to love each other, I don't take your shoes, you don't take my shoes. I don't lie to you, you don't lie to me, I don't manipulate you, you don't manipulate me. And so the world, one by one disciple at a time, becomes a different type of world, a different type of community, a different type of school system, a different type of court system, a different type of business, a different type of church. I've committed to do no wrong to you. And that's why Paul said, therefore, because love does no wrong to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. All 600 commands in the Old Testament, all the commands in the New Testament, they all get taken care of if you just follow this one command to love each other. Wow. All the other laws are a manifestation of this simple law to love each other because love does no wrong. Put in a positive sense, Dr. John Townsend put it this way in his book, Loving People. He said, love is seeking and doing what is best for another. That's to say it in the positive way. And what's best for you is not that I, I'm not going to hurt you, harm you, steal. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to assist you. Imagine a community of people. Imagine a home. Imagine your home. Imagine a school system. Where everyone is committed to do what is best for each other, and they do no wrong to one another, does that solve most of the world's problems? Yes or no? That's why Jesus did. That's why he said, "Go out and make disciples," because the disciples committed to love, and love does no wrong. It only seeks the best of its neighbor. It starts with me, and it starts with you. Now, some of you hearing that, you're like, "Well, I do pretty good with that," when it when, when it comes to those who, you know who are lovable. Me too. And here's why in your notes. Because loving the lovable is easy. (laughs) I'll just use my wife for example. She's one of the most precious tender people. And she's a great mom and a great wife. And I almost called her a great husband. (laughs) She's a great wife. (laughs) And so she's easy to love. But there's some other creatures in my home I won't name name anyone, but they're a little bit more challenging to love. And then it goes out from there. It's easy to love the lovable. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6 about loving the lovable. If you love those who love you, what credit is it to you? Even sinners. Now, when Jesus says even sinners, he's talking about people who are godless. They want nothing to do with God. They live on their own. He's talking about people that just have no faith, no no conscience. Just even people like Adolf Hitler can love those who love him. Come on, that's easy stuff. You don't have to be a disciple of Jesus to love the lovable. Everybody can do that. Even sinners can do that. What is Jesus really teaching here? Well, Townsend says in the book that when it comes to this concept of loving your neighbor, here's what Jesus really is saying. The lovability of the other person is ultimately irrelevant. We're not talking about... Jesus didn't say, go love your neighbor as yourself if they're a nice person. (laughs) Like, I would love for that little line to be in there at the end, but it's not there. (laughs) He says, love one another. In fact... I put it like this, it's not in your notes, but the more lovable you require another person to be in order to love them, the less loving you are. In other words, if I need you to be lovable in order to do what is best for you, what does that say about the quality of my love or my ability to love? It, needs, it means it's not very good because everybody can love the lovable, but to love the unlovable, oh, wow, well, that's something and I'm not there. And if you're honest with yourself, you'd have to raise your hand as well. Jesus calls us to something much bigger, much higher. Listen to what he says in verse 35. But if you but love your enemies and do good, bless them, lend to them, expecting nothing in return. And then, watch what happens. Watch this. Your reward will be great, and you'll be sons, and the implication is daughters of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful end of the evil see Jesus loves the unlovable Jesus loves you he loves me and when we are his disciples we're following in his footsteps and we're saying I'm going to choose to love the unlovable that is a high calling and not many of us are very good at that but we can get better and that's where the title came from better Lovers. The Apostle Paul said this quick prayer in First Thessalonians chapter 3. Watch this. And may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people. Watch this. Grow and overflow. That means there's room for growth. I can learn, you can learn to love the unlovable. We can get better at this deal. Not just with, with some people that are lovable, but watch this: with all people. People of different skin colors, people of different races, people of different religions, people of different sexual orientation. Yes, even them. Somebody like, do I have to love them too? Yes, you do. I didn't say so. Jesus said so. Love everybody. We can't pick and choose the the people that we choose to treat well and do good by. Jesus says, I want you to love everyone on this planet. Now that doesn't mean that you agree with everyone on this planet. We'll talk about that next week. Very important, but you do and you must love them. And we can grow in that. We can grow to the point where our love is overflowing just as our love for you overflows. Picture a world where everybody loved each other and everybody sought to do what was best for one another. And and everyone said, I will do no wrong to you. What would happen to the human race? Our F might go to a, I don't know, a B minus, yes? So let's talk about that. Let's talk about some of the unlovable folks in our life. I want to talk to you first and foremost about the people who hurt us. Because these ones right here, these ones are tough to love. The people who hurt us, harm us physically, verbally, sexually. I mean, just people just do damage to one another. And the pain runs so deep. It's like, well, the, even the idea of loving them, it just, it just seems impossible. But yet we're called to love even our enemies and all people. How do we do that? Let's, 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 work, let's work at that real quick. Three ideas. How do I love those who hurt me? How do you love those who hurt you? Number one, we have to refuse to retaliate. We have to refuse to retaliate. It's natural and human to want to get back. We want them to hurt the way we've hurt. We want them to pay for what they've done. We want them to suffer the way we've suffered and, 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 and that's normal and that's natural. It, the problem is, is that if we're wanting someone to hurt, it's impossible to love them at the same time. <laughs> you, does this make sense? I mean, this is kind of common sense, but if I, wanna, if I want you to pay and I want you to hurt and I want to retaliate and seek revenge, I can't love you at the same time. So we're in a conundrum. We cannot love those we want to get back at. So, what does Paul tell us to do? Well, he gives us this simple instruction in the book of Romans. Dear friends, never take revenge, never retaliate. Leave that to the righteous anger of who? Of God. What is he saying here? He's saying, you, if you want to love your neighbor as yourself, you have to put that person who's hurt you in the hands of God. Why? Because watch this, this is what God has said. For the scriptures have said: I will seek revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. So step one is simply saying, God, I'm not going to retaliate. I'm not going to seek revenge. I'm going to put them in your hands. You saw what happened. You saw the, the wrong that was done to me. You will pay them back in the end. You will settle all of the accounts. I trust you. This requires faith. Now, that doesn't mean you don't call the police or report the infraction if somebody's done something illegal to you or Harmful to you, but now you're calling the police or you're reporting the the, the situation not to get revenge but to help that person get caught because sometimes the most loving thing is for people to get caught. Have you been there? Like, if they did something illegal and they hurt you or they hurt someone you love, they must get caught, but you're not calling for revenge, you're calling for their benefit. I've done that, it's painful, it's hard. But the most loving thing for some people is for them to go to jail. And only then will they learn not to do that again. Does that make sense? No revenge in my heart. Love is in my heart because I put that person over here into God's hands. And God saw what happened. And he will deal with it. Make sense? Number one, we have to refuse to retaliate or seek revenge. That sets us up to do number two, which is to choose to forgive. This is so huge. Again, you cannot love someone that you're holding a grudge against. It's impossible. So we're stuck. If we're, if we're in an, a position where we're, we're holding back forgiveness and we, we're, 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 we're clinging to that, that grudge, that, that bitterness, that resentment, it's impossible to love that person. So we have, to, we have to forgive them. The most loving thing to do for them is to drop the charges. Peter was the guy that asked Jesus one time. He said, okay, Jesus, like how many times do I forgive somebody? Do you remember what Jesus said in response? Seven times 70. Now, did he mean 490? Yes or no? No, he didn't mean 490. Because what happens at the 491st, you know, I mean, does that mean you stop? No, it's, he, what he meant was you just every single time. That's what he meant. So Peter later on penned these words in in, in his uh, epistle, 1 Peter chapter 4. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Why? Keep loving one another passionately. Why? Because love and forgiveness are the same idea. Since love, watch this, covers a multitude of sins. Like when I choose to love you, when you choose to love me, like it's the same thing as forgiving. Like he knows that if two people are going to be in a relationship, they're going to hurt one another. There's going to be offenses. And if you don't love one another, you're going to hold a grudge. There's going to be a separation. So love and forgiveness are the same idea. In fact, forgiveness is love worked out practically in our relationships. Seven times 70. Every single time. Now I know some of you are hearing that. You're like, <sighs> Okay, I agree with Pete, Pete's a good guy, he was, one, he was close to Jesus, it says it in the Bible, I should do it, but I can't do it. It's too, it's too painful, you don't know what he did, you don't know what she did, you don't know what my mom said, you don't know what my dad did, you don't, I know I need to forgive him, I just can't do it. And for you, I just wanna give you a little help, a little help here. Paul actually is gonna give you a little help. If you're stuck in that spot, and you know you should do that, but you're struggling. Here's what Paul said in Colossians chapter 3. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against somebody. Okay, so there's the command. Now how do I do that? If I'm stuck, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And this is the secret. Treat that person as Jesus has treated you. Well, how did Jesus treat me? Well, 2,000 years ago, he allowed himself to be whipped with the cat of nine tails, which is a whip with pieces of rock and glass attached to it, to the point where his back essentially had no skin on it. Then he allowed them to put place a crown of thorns on his head and they pushed it down and they spit in his face and they pulled out parts of his beard and they struck him over the head with a stick and they mocked him and ridiculed him and eventually put nails through his feet and his hands and hung him on a cross for who for you to wipe away to wash away all of your sins not just a few of them all of them and when you place faith in Christ if you're a believer today your sins were washed away every single one of them and so Paul is on to something here he says hey if you're struggling to forgive somebody just remember Just take a walk down memory memory lane and remember how the Lord forgave you. And when you remember how he forgave you and the price that he paid and the excruciating pain and the humiliation he went through at the cross, you will be able, you will have the power to extend forgiveness to somebody else. Amen? And that's the secret if you're stuck in bitterness and resentment and holding a grudge. So number one, how do we love the people that have hurt us? We refuse to retaliate. Number two, we choose to forgive. And then number three, and this isn't for all of you. This is just for some of you. This requires discernment. Perhaps you need to set up a boundary. A boundary. What's a boundary? A boundary is a, a border. It's a wall. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a line. And, and a boundary does two things. Number one, it, it protects you from getting hurt again. So many people get confused between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is one thing. Reconciliation is another. Forgiveness is saying, I'm not going to hold this against you anymore. I drop the charges. Reconciliation says, let's get back together and restore our relationship like it was before. Two totally separate things. You can forgive someone and not be reconciled. See, when you reconcile, now there's no wall between you and the person who has hurt you. And you have allowed them or created a situation where they can do the same thing again and again and again. And you're setting yourself up to be hurt. So many women, battered women do this. Their husband beats them up. and Well, he's sorry. He said he was sorry. He cried. The police officer even gave him a warning. So I let him come home. Come on. Sure, forgive him, but don't let him back in because he said he was sorry. And because he said, I'll never do it again. Are you kidding me? Right? A boundary says, you're gone until you figure out why you beat me up. See how that works? You're stuck in childhood. And when you become a man, you may, we may reconcile, but not until you grow up. And that's the power of a boundary. A boundary protects your heart, first thing. Second thing it does is it creates the perfect environment, not perfect, the best environment for the other person to change. See, if there's no price for what they've done to you, sexually, emotionally, physically, if they don't have to pay a price, they're just gonna keep doing it again. Why? Because they don't have any reason to change. But when you create a boundary and they can't come home, And they can't see the kids or they can't have the, you know, get access to the money anymore or whatever the situation. Now it's like, oh, man, well, now I have to change because you set up this boundary. See, a boundary helps. A boundary is for some, not for all. It's the most loving thing to do. Pay attention, parents. This is a great parenting principle. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 19 puts it this way. A hot-tempered person, an abusive person, a sexually abusive person, a violent person, whatever, you can fill in the blank. They must pay the penalty. If you rescue them, just let them back in the house or let them back into your life or let them get away with it. You will have to do it again and again and again. It's called empowerment, enablement. We just say, well, you know, it's just, I just, and here's what parents say. This is is hard, this is hard. And I don't mean to laugh about it, but I've heard it so many times. Well, I just love him so much. Okay, if you love him, her, make them pay. There's got to be a cost to the, to the behavior, the things that they said to you, the hurt and the pain that they brought into your life, the danger that they brought, the, the illegal thing that they did. They've got to pay. If they don't pay, you're creating a monster. Yes or no? I know this is hard. I know this is hard. This is not easy but the most loving thing you can do as a friend, a parent, coworker, whatever is make them pay. Now we've got an environment where they have to change. Yes or no? And loving them is wanting them to change. You rescue them, they'll only have to they'll only do it, you'll only have to do it again and again and again. What does it look like to love the people who hurt us? Number 1, we got to we got to resist retaliating. We've got to trust God. We've got to let God take care of it. Number two, got to choose to forgive them. That's the, you cannot love someone and harbor bitterness and resentment and a grudge against them at the same time. It's impossible. And then number three, perhaps you may need, you may need to set up a boundary. Now, let me be clear about boundaries super quick. A boundary is not set up in your life because you, you, know, you don't like what your spouse is doing. You don't like what the other person is doing. A boundary is only set up when that person is doing something to harm you. I'll give you a quick example. The other night, it was Wednesday night, Tuesday night. Remember how it was super cold outside? And my wife said to me, uh, hey, can you go pick up Ruby from, from cell group? And I was like, sure. Uh, and it was really cold and I was in my PJs but I wanted to serve my wife and I wanted to bless her and she, so she didn't have to go out. So I said, what time do I need to pick her up? She said, you know, 8.15. So I got there at 8.12, because I'm that kind of guy, you know what I'm saying? So I'm there, I'm looking at the door, 8.15 hits. Doors closed 8:20. Doors closed 8:25. Doors closed. Okay, now my wife's getting a text message. Where is she? Uh, and So she says, "Oh, I think I got the times messed up. I think it actually ends at 8:30." Now I had turned the car off because I'm not the kind of guy that wastes gasoline. Anybody else? <laughs> now that night it was like five degrees, minus five. Does it really matter? I mean, it was freezing. So I'm sitting in the car, freezing my tail off, looking at the door. My wife got the time wrong and I'm starting to stew. Cuz I am in my PJs. I got my slippers on. Like I'm ready for bed. I'm freezing. 8:30, 8:32, 8:35, 8:36, 8:37. No Ruby. No daughter. Freezing. Car's off. Finally, finally this 13-year-old girl, girl walks out of the house, gets in the car. I said, "How is Scroop?" Good. Would you talk about your sermon? Great. That's all I said. It's all she said because I was mad. And the whole drive home, I'm thinking, I'm setting up some kind of boundary. I am. We're going to have new rules in our house. Something. And I'm trying to think of one. I'm trying to think of a rule, a boundary. How do I prevent this from happening again? I'm freezing, it's late, it's dark, it's sub-zero temperatures. And, 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 and I guess when I got home, my wife said, so, oh, I'm sorry, she's so gentle, you know, I messed up the time. And I just had nothing, <laughs> I had nothing. And here's why, because you cannot set up a boundary in a relationship because you didn't get what you wanted because you don't like what happened. That's not what boundaries are for. See, some of you are tempted to take my words and go home and make some kind of crazy boundary <laughs> with your spouse. I'm not saying that. You create boundaries when someone is hurting you, not when they get a time wrong, okay? Or they're just acting in a way that's forgetful or doing some other thing that, that, that annoys you. Does that make sense? That's why it's not for everybody. What would happen? What would happen if you, if you were able to love the people in your life that hurt you? What happened? I mean, I like to talk big about revolutions and how communities in the world would change. I mean, I'm just a dreamer like that. But let's start in our home what would happen if you created an environment in your home where the culture was love does no wrong we don't do that to each other we don't hit we don't talk that way don't want to, we don't make fun we don't we only seek what is best for the other what would happen would mistreatment go away yep would you be seek to be blessing each other in the home yep husbands and would marriages get better yep would brother and sister relationships get better? Yep. Would brother-brother relationships get better? Yep. Would daughter-mother relationships get better? Yep. Father-sons? Yep. It, all, it would all get better. Why? Because love does no wrong to his neighbor. And then, and then from there, from the homes in our community, that would spread to what? The, the, the school systems and the offices that we go to work and all that. This whole, this whole love thing would just spread, and that's how a community would change. and Crime would go down. And all this mistreatment would, would slowly dissipate. And that was the wisdom of Jesus when he said, go into all the world and make disciples. Oh, don't you love it? Two questions. Who's the person who's hurt you? This is for you. Practical action steps to take home. Who's the person who's hurt you? And then number two, and this is the tough one, will you choose to love them? Refuse to retaliate. Forgive them. And perhaps, just maybe, set up a boundary. Now you got to take the ball and you got to run with it. This is your deal now. Your home will change when you decide to change. Our community will change when we decide to change. And to love each other. Now thankfully Jesus led the way in this. (laughs) I keep saying this. I feel like I say this every week now. But it's so powerful. He said... There is no greater love than for a person to lay down his life for his friends. And then he went and did it. As I've already explained, he stretched out his hands and feet and he allowed himself to be nailed to a cross. Why? Because it's what we needed most. We needed forgiveness. We needed grace. We needed reconciliation. And so Jesus, in love, did what was most needed. Someone had to pay for sin. And so Christ lays his life down on the cross and he dies for us because we couldn't pay the penalty. And so he pays it for us. And he offers you eternal life. He offers you abundant life. He says, will you you receive that? I've paid the price, will you trust in me? And maybe today is the day that you put your trust in him and you ask him to forgive all of your sin and you become his follower, you become his disciple. I'm gonna say a simple prayer. You can take these words, make them your own. Receive God's love today. Put your faith in him. Trust him today as your savior. Just take these words and make them your own. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for paying the penalty for my sin. Thank you for dying in my place. I ask you to wash away all my sin. Forgive me, cleanse me, and make me your child today. And from this day forward, help me to be your student. And to first and foremost, love my neighbor as myself. I pray this in Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, our church wants to give glory to God, don't we guys? Amen, so far this year, 33 people have trusted Christ. If you prayed that prayer I want you to grab one of these on your way out. There's tables back here to my right and my left. This is actually a copy of the New Testament. Jesus said one time, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, what is the truth? The truth comes from God's word and he changes us as we take his word into our hearts and minds. So if you prayed to receive Christ today, grab one of these on the way out. If you did it online, there's a little place there where you you can check. Put your address in there and we will send one of these to you in the mail. One more time, guys, can we give God glory for what he's doing? Amen.